You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. It's the Pimp Cron, and you're listening to the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. This is episode 18, and we aim to ignite the flame of hobby in all of you. We cater to fluff and casual players, and we generally shit on competitives, although this is a friendly atmosphere, and we love everybody ultimately, although we love some people more. So this is the weekend after Shorehammer, and of course, we missed last episode last week because we uh, we were a bit busy. We were knee-deep in terrain, as it, as it were, and I just did not have time to record. So, uh, over the course of that weekend, which would be um, Friday night and Saturday night, no, Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night, I got a total of 17 hours sleep, I think. So, that is that is not a whole lot. I'm, I'm getting up here in years, not really, but kind of, and that is not a lot of sleep for me. But we had an utter blast, and we had, um, we, we met new faces, of course, we see the regulars, and, and it's it's just great. So, we have a lot of stuff to cover, as always. Um, first of all, we have a Tesseract mailbox, and people are suggesting that we add several segments to our show, and I will, I have compiled several different messages that we've received from people that are just short little one-off messages that I didn't think we they were long enough for me to reply to on the air. But now that we've got a couple of them that are kind of similar that we've collected over the last couple months, now I can finally re- reply to all of them at one time. Uh, so after the Tesseract mailbox, we have a um, Want That or Want That Not with 40k Monopoly. I'm joined by a new guest, which is not new to me, Mick Storman, and um, we discussed the 40k Monopoly and whether or not we want that or want that not. Following that, we have a Well, Here's an Idea. It's a Shorehammer in review with just James and I. And uh, we just discussed some behind the scenes stuff and, you know, whatever we felt like talking about Shorehammer. And um, I swear I won't continue to beat Shorehammer over your head, uh, but hopefully if you're in this area next year, it'll be the middle of November 2019, we will have another Shorehammer. And I will try to limit my use of that word because you'll hear it a lot. Of course, in the next you know months, you're not going to hear it as much because it'll be a long way off. But um, in the meantime, I, I think that maybe uh, you should just prepare yourself to hear about a lot in this episode and in the next episode or so. So, uh, after the, well, here's an idea, uh, the Shorehammer review, we have Real Talk with the Pimpcron, which happened with a live audience. It was the best and worst codexes of Warhammer 40k, and it was live audience at Shorehammer. Oops, I said that word again. And following all of that, uh, so, the, so the number of guests I have there is a whole lot. Um, I would guess, I don't know. 30 people or so were in attendance. I, I didn't actually make a head count, but it was it was roughly that. I don't know, 20, 30 people, something like that. We were in a, um, a small ballroom, and it was a lot of fun. Got a lot of different opinions on that. And following all of that, we have a Let's Get Brutal with the Pimpcron, where we finish up the Blur, which is the uh, Wasteland Supplement number one, or the Wastes. And we finish up the Blur region, and we will head on into the Ashlands, which is always fun. So, uh, before we go any farther, I do want to thank, uh-oh, we've got another Patreon patron. Patreon patron, I always mess up that word, but anyway, we have a new Patreon patron, and that would be Tom Ryder. So, thank you very much, Tom, for supporting the show, I appreciate it. We are trying to save up with for some uh, better equipment, and in the meantime, I hope you enjoy your um, monthly Pimpcron's Epic War Planner segments. And, of course, you know, the little posts I do here or there and the shout-outs and whatnot. But I greatly appreciate it, Thomas. And uh, hopefully, you know, our sound quality will be getting better and, and whatnot. We're slowly buying equipment. And hopefully you'll notice that our sound quality is getting better over time. But, you know, none of this stuff is cheap. So that's where we fit with uh, all of that. Further ado, let's do this thing. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Oh, damn. I forgot what time it was. It's time for the Tesseract mailbox. So let me open up this file right here. I've compiled um, 
two emails to pimpcron at gmail.com and one message via Facebook Messenger to pimpcron, I mean, uh, facebook.com slash pimpcron. And I am still holding out hope that somebody will call our hotline that is in the show notes. And I never remember that number. And clearly none of you do either because you never call. Why don't you call? I don't know. One of these days, someone's going to call, and I'm going to be delighted. We're going to make an entire episode about someone calling. But in the meantime, we have a couple different letters. So this one, I will just read them in succession. Hello, I'd like to see more AOS coverage on this podcast. You've said that you play both games. There is a whole underutilized market for AOS podcasts, but it seems like 40k casts are by the dozens. Downy. Next one is, howdy. Have you ever considered adding a segment about hobby tips such as painting? Otherwise, love the podcast, Daryl in Iowa. And finally, hello, Mr. Pimpcron. My friend and I were talking that it would be great if there was a tactical segment of your show. Do you fluffers even know tactics? Smiley face. That is CK and Tommy Boy. So, um, several people over time have asked us questions about adding segments to the show. And to that, I have to say... Uh... No. Unfortunately, I don't think so. Now, tactics are a big thing for me. I really enjoy tactics. Um, I'm not much of a list builder. I'm I'm more for... um, I really enjoy the strategy of Warhammer 40k, and I guess I'll just uh, work backwards on these questions. So, about the Tactica segment. Um, I feel like to per- properly explain Tactica, you really need some sort of diagram or something like that. And I don't mean the cheesy-ass tactics of... Oh, if my guy's within six inches of the leader, blah, 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 re-roll the blah, 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 whatever. No, uh, that to me is not tactics. That is just simple math. So what I mean by tactics are, you know, hit, hit and run, tying up a unit, you know, and then retreating so the other people can shoot and, and all of that. So I really feel like you would need a diagram for some of this, some of this stuff. And I don't really foresee us doing much Tactica because as much as I love tactics, I'm not a list builder. I'm more of a strategist. I don't really foresee that, unfortunately. I hate to be a disappointment. Then again, ask my parents. I'm a disappointment. Anyway, so I apologize, CK and Tommy Boy. We will not be specializing in a segment of tactics. Next is Daryl in Iowa, and he said a segment about hobby tips such as painting. So, Basically, the well, here's an idea is often about something that has to do with the hobby. So, you know, making your own army transports or um, that sort of thing. And I am perfectly happy talking about painting or hobby tips. I am not a world class painter. I know a couple people who are. Um, I know that um, our Patreon patron, uh, Tom Ryder, is an awesome painter, and I've seen his work before. And I have a friend, Tony Gallagher, who's an awesome painter. And um, there's there's several of them out there, but I would not be the person to ask. Now, could I have, you know, Tony, who lives nearby, could I have Tony on the podcast to explain some painting tips? Sure. But I feel like that is pretty well covered ground as far as that goes, because, you know, um, Duncan has his whole thing that he does on YouTube or, or on the Warhammer Community podcast or Wherever they do it, honestly, I don't watch it or listen to it, so you would know better than I do. But I don't really foresee us doing much in painting, because once again, you kind of need to see what's going on, and there's a visual aspect to that, and I think it's been done. So while we do do hobby tips, we are probably not going to specialize in painting. And finally, this is from Downey. He says he'd like to see more Age of Sigmar coverage on this podcast, and to, to that, I don't really know what to say. We are primarily a Warhammer 40k podcast. Um, we pretty much all of my guests, except for Loremaster Alex, play Age of Sigmar as well. And by golly, I am enjoying Age of Sigmar more and more as 40k 8th edition becomes more and more complex. Cough, cough. Uh, formations again. Cough, cough. You know, FAQs every two weeks. Cough, cough. Stratagems, etc. Now, still love Warhammer 40k, but Age of Sigmar is looking more and more appealing, and I've really been enjoying it. So, that being said, I think most of our audience likes 40k, and we do mention Age of Sigmar from time to time, but, you know, it's kind of an if or, uh, if or then, if then, if and or, I don't know, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but the point is, is that 
it's usually one or the other for Age of Sigmar 40k. A lot of people don't cross-pollinate, and you really have to stick to a target audience. In this case, most of our target target audience is 40k, and we really have to stick to that. So while I will do everything I possibly can to mention Age of Sigmar, we probably are not going to start an Age of Sigmar podcast. Also, have you listened to our episodes? We're kind of all over the place as far as topics, um, but generally stick in the 40k theme. Anyway, thank you to Downey and Daryl and CK and Tommy Boy for writing in. Unfortunately, I just have to crush all your dreams. That's what I'm good for. Uh, ask my wife. Uh, <laughs> and let's move on to the next segment. Want that or want that not? All right, so this is Want That or Want That Not with the Pimpcron. And today I'm joined by who? What do you want to go by? Uh, Mick Storman. Mick Storman. Yeah. Now, I've known Mick Storman for just as long as I've known Just James, and he is new to the hobby. He's not necessarily playing Warhammer, but he is. he has been painting models and getting into that whole thing. I'm dipping my toe in, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of Reaper models, mm -hmm, things mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. So, today we are going to look at um, something that's a little uh, hobby neutral, I guess we call it is the Warhammer 40k Monopoly set, which I find to be a little odd. What are your first impressions of it, McStorman? Uh, I, I agree. I, I think if they're trying to market to a, a bigger audience, I don't think it's going to do too well because not a lot of people know about War, Warhammer, so to speak. I think it just it's only geared toward people that would are playing Warhammer. Um, if they're trying to make money off of this, Monopoly-wise, I don't think it's a... Uh, good strategy because I just think people are just going to pass this over unless they're obviously know about Warhammer or play Warhammer they would I could see someone buying it for the, um, the collector's item so to speak but um, I, I agree with you I've got um, I've got a couple mon Monopoly sets and I have a Spider-Man specific mm -hmm. Monopoly set I have a comic book a Marvel Comics Monopoly set and uh, but you know you can kind of see them selling those because Marvel and Spider-Man very well known are huge mm -hmm. compared to Warhammer. And I know, I mean, prior to knowing me or whatever, I mean, you've you've never heard of Warhammer, right? No, that's that's the thing about War it's got. I think it's got more potential than it even has now. It's just the name's not really well recognized from some from someone like my perspective. It's just it's just if you want to get more people into the game, I think there needs to be a more uh, well. Uh, marketing scheme to, to brand it better i guess you can say but i think so um also like uh if it were uh world of warcraft monopoly people mm -hmm. know that or if it was yes. dungeons and dragons monopoly people yes. know that mm -hmm. but people don't necessarily know warhammer uh, now there's something else that i think is pretty interesting is that you know the little tokens the metal tokens that you move around the board mm -hmm. Now, we're talking about warhammer which is made from a miniatures company mm -hmm. and this is you know warhammer is a miniatures game but I honestly think that they missed a huge opportunity to make limited edition models that only come in the Monopoly set. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm looking at them right now, and they're not even miniatures. They're just like a was a helmet. Um, yeah, there's a sword and a Necron monolith. Yeah, you would think they would all be miniatures. Miniature, like you said, a spe like you could only get those miniatures if you buy the game. Now that people would buy that more just to get that those miniatures oh for sure and uh, it's only forty dollars for the monopoly set and like i was telling you before we went on the air that any games workshop board game is easily a hundred dollars mm -hmm. 120 dollars but this monopoly set's only 40 and dude i i mean i'm not gonna buy this yeah but if it had unique miniatures mm -hmm. five or six unique miniatures in this i would definitely buy it and that's, and that's saying a lot and you're and you're a, a big fan of warhammer and uh -huh. even you were like nah, i'll pass on this so i mean i just think that this is if if, it, if i was gonna bet it's gonna be a, a a bust or a flop this is definitely to me it'd be a flop yeah um i think it's a it's just something that's just not going to do too well so in a way it might be good to buy it because it might be very rare in the future because it might make it <laughs> only sell a couple hundred and then it might become a collector's item i don't know but i just don't think it's a good um especially for monopoly monopoly is kind of it's like we discussed this before monopoly is monopoly it just yeah it's i'm certain there's no special rules or no anything it's to probably this. the same rules and just a different like board <laughs> my spider-man monopoly and my comic book monopoly is still just monopoly mm -hmm. it's a skin they put on it it's and, just and a collector's it. item that you yeah know, 
me personally, if if you if I did get something like that, I would I wouldn't even open it up. I would just buy it and just have it on the shelf and just another eye candy yeah. uh, for the hobby. But honestly, like I said though, these would sell like hotcakes if they came with six yeah. special uh, yep. models. Yep. You get nowhere else. I agree with that I mean, because a lot of people are in the game uh, hobby. Um, I know I'm uh, new to this this hobby, but a lot of people are into the hobby for miniatures. Yeah. It seems like in painting and all that stuff, but. I think a lot of people would get it more if there's a special miniature that you can only get if you buy the game. But to have miniatures in this game of Monopoly as your tokens mm -hmm. and them not be actual... I know. Game, like, that's... It just seems weird to it, me. It doesn't make sense yeah. at all. Um, so anyway, is that a want that or want that not for you, McStormand? Uh, I would say definitely not, not want it. I and do not want it. I completely agree. Unfortunately, I hope it sells well, but I'm kind of in the same boat as you that mm -hmm. not certain that it will for the brand recognition. I mean, honestly, if it was anything else, Disney, Marvel, um, Nickelodeon, World of Warcraft, mm -hmm. Magic, D&D, &D, anything else, but I don't know. So anyway, thanks for being on McStorman, and that is our verdict on Want That or Want That Not. Now, here's an idea. Hey, it's the Pimp Crown again, and this is a Well, Here's an Idea, where we once again hijack the idea of Well, Here's an Idea to talk about some other random shit. Today, I'm here with Just James. Hello. And we wanted to discuss how awesome and fun Shorehammer 2018 was. So I have a witness here. Just James was here the entire time. I seen it. <laughs> he seen it. And he has actually judged James for, our, for my tournaments. I am the law. He is the law. And I am not just making this up. I guess that's my point here. So I brought Just James in here today, and we will discuss just briefly how Shorehammer 2018 may have been different than other years. So what would you like to start with, Just James? Uh, I would like to start with how the previous years, it seemed like everybody just came in and did the tournament, and that was it. Well, this year, it seemed like not only was a tournament going on, but there was other people playing on the boards as well. Um, I really like that, you know, just not, you know, not just a tournament, but other people having fun, having free play games. Yeah, actually, I did notice that, too, that there were a lot more free play games on the tables that weren't being used by the tournaments or whatever was going on. Yeah. And didn't it seem like in previous years, people would kind of, like, leave after the after the events? Yeah, they'd, they'd finish up their tournament. I mean, yeah, it's three games at hours long and you get a bit tired but it is nice when they come back and you know enjoy the rest of the convention yeah and like you said i've never seen this amount of free play on the tables before that are besides the tournaments also they came back and there's a new game invented uh squarters did you see the play that oh uh, yeah <laughs> so there's a there's an official shorehammer game called squarters <laughs> and uh the basement war gamers invented that i think it was specifically max and yeah. I, I think he was the in, in engineer, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And um, so anyway, that was fun. And we also had our normal panels and things after the tournaments. But this year, it seemed like we had more people for the panels, more people for the movie, and just people milling about. Because normally what happens is after a long day, like the Highlander, eight hours or whatever of playing games, most people just leave, go get dinner, and go drink. Yeah. But... This year they came back, which was nice. Um, what else could you say that you noticed? Uh, I also want to add that I, th what also helps with the free play stuff was that after the narrative battle was done, that was open to free play, and I think more people like playing on that because they had uh, a more of a theme to it. Whereas you know when the Highlander was done, you had all that terrain set up, but it was you know tournament terrain setup so it was kind of bare and kind of bland but the with the narrative you know you had the uh the jungle with all the trees and um then you had uh all like the factory side mm -hmm. with all the pipes and and stuff and it really looked thematic and cool um so yeah that was pretty cool so um i think you're right because i even saw people playing on the space hawk too, yeah afterwards um, so that was cool. I, I do think people appreciate well-made tables with a lot of terrain. And for our narrative battle, it was an 18-foot-long board 
that fit uh, what nine people per or no uh, eight people per side, and then in conjunction with that, we had a space hawk that was in orbit, and it would fire down orbital bombardments onto the main board, and that had two players from each side. So we had a space hawk and then eighteen feet aboard. And um, for the narrative reasons, we had it, like a lot of terrain on there, like you said, jungles and all kinds of scatter and and things like that. It was like a really pretty board. And uh, yeah, I think that's what free play games need to have is well uh, set up terrain, well looking uh, theme to it, uh, not just like like I said, bland tournament. I think what really is cool uh, would really want me to play on a. a uh, free play game is a well-designed table yeah um i'm sad to say that nobody played on our island table but it was kind of out of the way and i was told by some of my volunteers that they thought that people thought it was meant for something uh yeah you know because it was near the kill teams board the vertical board yeah so they kind of thought it was part of something and they never played on it i had several people say they really liked it and they wanted to play on it, but no one ever did. But well, I think also with that is it is the the uh, it was two islands in in a corner, and you had some rock terrain. Well, the really the main you didn't have much space to put your army on there, mm-hmm. uh, and the rock terrain was wasn't really made for sitting people on it. So I think people it might have deterred them away from not having too much terrain for them to sit on. Um, I feel like the narrative battle was a huge success as far as this goes. And um, while we probably will be adding more tournaments and things in the future, we have been strongly talking about adding a lot more narrative battles. Yeah, that'd be pretty fun. And so I think that we're going to, every year we're going to go back to the battle for Shoreham. This was the first battle for Shoreham and, you know, the second battle or whatever next year. But And I want that storyline to blend into the every year. But it doesn't all have to be tied together. And I was thinking about doing several, and I mean like, you know, two or three a day of smaller size games. You know, like with six players or something like that. Not 20 players like our main one. Yeah. And they don't have to be tied to the main game. But it would be interesting because, you know, um, on Patreon, for my Patreon members, I'm uh, releasing... Um, uh, Pimpcron's uh, uh, War Planner, it's called. And each um, month I do a different mission, different setup, things like that, that are narrative, and they put you in an interesting circumstance. Well, I would like to start doing that sort of thing with, you know, people sign up for it or whatever, and you're going to be put into a specific circumstance. Maybe one time using the Vertical Kill Teams board, one time using the Island board. How, you know, I would love to do like a, a Normandy, like a, like a D-Day assault beach assault like all your troops have to be in transports and you have to get up on the beach while the enemy is like shooting oh my god that'd be so much fun yeah that'd be cool and uh you know you'd put those two islands like build you know one i don't think you can you no you can build the one big island using the realm of battle yeah yeah so that's what we do build put the four corners and build one big island and then have the enemy assault from both sides that'd be pretty sweet that would be awesome um, so we have all kinds of things, but I'm really starting to feel like the narrative battles are going to be kind of our niche. Um, because we have, you know, you said that the tournament terrain is kind of bland, and that's true because it's a tournament. You can't have, like, a ton of scatter or whatever because then people start whining, oh, it's not fair, because yeah. everybody loves to whine that's not fair. So, but the narrative battle, you can really go all out, and I have so much fine detail scatter, you know, crates and barrels and all kinds of stuff. And um, uh, also, we just submitted our um, after-action survey to everybody. And there was like 5% of the people that responded said that they weren't interested in any narrative battles. Nearly every single person said, oh, definitely I'd want to do narrative battles. Cool. So um, I think next year you can probably expect to see more beautiful tables with, you know, high detail stuff. And um, I really enjoy that anyway. You know, you play with me all the time, but I like a lot of terrain. It makes yeah. it look yeah, more realistic. It does. So, but um, I think that will just help us, you know, be a further apart from all the other conventions because, you know, I mean, we have tournaments, but we're not really hardcore or really about the tournaments, you know. 
No, not really. So, but as always, like this year, um, we had a lot of new faces, but everybody fit in wonderfully and, you know, didn't have any issues at all with anybody not getting along or whatever. Um, so did you, do you have anything else to add to that? Um, I think I'm done. Yeah, that's good. That's all I can think of. All right. Well, I think we'll wrap this up and we will, uh, oh, I better finish this up with a, well, here's an idea. So, well, here's an idea. Shorehammer was a lot of fun this year and it was a little bit different. We had some new things going on, you know, the big narrative and, and danger zone and whatnot, but it's funny, the more things change, the more that they stay the same, because everybody, you know, we have 100% of the survey, and so far it's, um, like, over 30 people have responded, I think it was, and um, 100% of the survey said they would absolutely come back, so that's, that is high marks. Also, you know what, I should probably read, at some point, some of the remarks people are making, because I said at the end of the survey, um, you know, write in if you feel like it was optional. Write in, you know, what you love about Shorehammer or why you'd come back. And we have some very well-written, very flattering oh, wow. comments. And I was reading some of them to my brother Brooks, and he was like, wow, those are really well-written. <laughs> like, it's like a travel guide review. <laughs> so I'm going to have to gloat and share those at some point. But let's go on to the next segment. Hey everybody, it's the Pimpcron, and today I've got a product that you did not know that you could not live without. That's right. Becoming a patron on Patreon for the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast is everything you've ever wanted. We guarantee that it will clean up your spills, make your whites whiter, teach your dog tricks, and take you to the edge and even clean up afterwards. That's right. It's everything you could ever want in a product ever. Just go to patreon.com slash and pledge your allegiance to the almighty Kron today. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Kron. Alright, so Real Talk with Pimp Kron tonight is uh, live from Shorehammer. And the first minute and a half or so is a little wonky because of the sound we were in a pretty large ballroom and it was quite echoey until my brother brooks fixed it so just hang in there for about a minute and a half and listen to loremaster alex make an ass out of himself in front of the audience and then after that it's much better audio quality this is the first ever live i mean it's pre-recorded now but it's the live uh short hammer edition of, of real talk with the pimpcron so to my right is loremaster alex hey guys how we doing and they've seen you all day, so. Don't don't threaten him. He will do it. He act. Yeah, he's doing it actively now. All right. So let's start it off with the funniest gaming club story. You guys have anything that comes to mind? Somebody acting like a fool? Anything like that in the game club? You. Depends on how gross I can make. No, well, don't make the story. Just if you have a story. Sure, go ahead. So I watched a chick. It was at that exact moment that Pimpcron immediately regretted giving Loremaster Alex a microphone in a large room full of people. The audience regretted it as well. All right, well, that's that was all his airtime for the show. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he used it up so quickly, didn't he? <laughs> Alright, so um, honestly, I hate to be a little bitch, but I, I'm feeling orcs are pretty strong. Uh, I, my, one of my topics was most OP codex. What do you think the most OP codex is? C custodes. Who's, who said custodes? Grey knights. Custodes are a bitch, too. So the only reason I'm going to say chaos is because chaos can do so much stuff that imp that uses other codexes. Yeah. The fact that you can do things, just like Inari, that can do these things that are really doing things that are not in their book, not in their army. But they're like, oh, yeah, but JK, I'm also this thing. <laughs> right? That... Right. Yeah, there's a yeah. difference between the idea that like, you have one guy who is part of an army and he gets that stuff 
But like the idea that cultists get veterans of the long war is complete ridiculousness, yeah. right? Why do they get that? They're not veterans of the long That's war. That's true. They're fucking cultists. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Like, they're just some guys that they're like, yeah, cool. You like chaos? Come on. <laughs> we'll teach you what we know. Right? Yeah, right? We've been There's around no a way you've been around since the long war. <laughs> yeah. They they are the ultimate soup, I guess. But, yeah. So that could be something they fix. Yeah, yeah. Talking to the mic. Just say it again. So, I mean, we have precedents for, like, fixing something like that. Like, conscripts are hot trash as far as, like, taking orders because they're undisciplined. Uh, Gretchen don't benefit from a lot of the abilities that proper orcs get, so maybe we could see something like that where cultists kind of get shut down a little bit. But I'm fine either way, whatever. I mean, we already see that. Like, like, like my space wolf player, those Fenrisian wolves don't get to do any of the fun stuff. Yeah. Right? I feel like, well... They don't. They're not space And wolves. cultists getting the, uh, the chapter tactics is a little silly, too. Same with yeah, veterans of the long war, and this is coming from a chaos player. It's it's a little ridiculous. I feel like the cultists are like the hipsters of chaos. Just like we were in this before, it was cool. We're <laughs> veterans of the long war, man. You don't know we, we we've been we've been in a planet you don't even heard of, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I don't know why I gave him the mic. Um. So, what would you say the most overpowered codex is? Uh, you say chaos. I, I mean, as a faction, but if what, you're talking the singular book, that's a different singular game. Book. But if you're talking about the actual faction and how they can pull from three different books and use that all as, yeah, um, I, I think we can agree, chaos as far as faction, faction would be yeah. the ultimate soup. Yeah. Okay. Really? All right. Well, no, Matt disagrees. No. Go ahead. I, I I say orcs because if you look through their codex, if you look at the different builds that they have, they can literally do gunline, melee. Control whatever you want. I mean, you can look at the Orc Codex. They could literally do any list that they want and still be competitive. Well, I definitely think they're competitive. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I mean, I don't mean to be a little bitch after this weekend, but Orcs kick ass. I, I, I like don't they're... think they're overpowering in any sense, but they can All literally right. run any build that any other army is running and be good at it. Very true. And you know, they used to suck at shooting, and now they're strategists. But for, for years that. before they, the Orcs got all their stats that they do now, they were doing this with Space Marines. The Space Marines have all the same stuff they can do, just like the Orcs can. That's true, too, yeah. Yeah, but the argument that just because it sucks... Be Speaking the, of... The biggest thing with Space Marines is their generic troops and Terminators need to get dropped. Because me paying for 10 TAC Marines that have the same point cost as 40 cultists that have four <laughs> times the shots, four times the wounds, it's not worth a one strength, one toughness difference. And they can use veterans, remember that. And they can use yeah. veterans... And get rid of that one toughness. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they can add more points for boys. Like, um, I, I think they're too cheap, like seven points. Maybe make it ten points for boys. And what are they, four attacks, including their weapon? But, four but, attacks each for boys? You know, melee, I mean, that's what they do. But, I mean, they of course, orcs can shoot. But oh, yeah. they do melee. And yeah. now you've got all these options to get in your face, turn one. Because mm -hmm. the, the teleporter can work turn yeah. no, turn two. Which but makes the, sense with the, the weird jump, boy, though. because. You, you can jump and, and yeah. get right there in the face, and that's the the whole point of it. Yeah. Anybody, uh, Matt, that's what I'm saying? Uh, speaking from experience, the first time I played Orcs in the new edition was tonight, and round two it was over. Like, I was playing guard. <laughs> uh, a friend of mine was playing Grey Knights, and we fought two Orc uh, players, 2,000 points, and the minute they set up, I was like, I, I can't shoot all of this. Yeah. Like, you just can't. Body. And, and, of course, guard shooting is better, and, you know, you can really lay down some power, but by turn two... Like their shooting was punishing because they could reroll sixes and some of that. And I was like, "What's going on here?" And they were getting a like chip, literally small arms fire from orcs, chipped down a Lehman Rust to make it useless. And then they assaulted it. And you're just like, "Well, that's turn two. It's game. So I'm gonna go play brutality." But uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but that, that's my point. Like, like just the first game, I was like, "Wow, I've heard that orcs were, but to you would yeah. really have to build a list." And I don't, I, maybe if I had pulled back farther, but I didn't, you know, 2,000 points, like, I, I couldn't bring enough to shoot everything on the board, and it was going to get to me, but guardsmen aren't going to slow them down. Maybe you, know? you can take a page out of Tim's book and take, like, 17 Punishers. Uh, probably. Maybe that would probably, right. probably all tanks would have been the way to go, but for a casual, for a casual, it was very, uh... I was looking for you. I was very surprised at how quickly the trucks, and you just, we couldn't kill any trucks, so we couldn't, and then you're like, oh, and then we got the orcs on the side, and... Then some deep strucker rockets, and we're like, the orcs, they're here. It's turn two. And <laughs> and once they're in, I'm like, it's game. 
you know, so all the setup for that, I kind of like, I, I, you know, sometimes the game, you put all the time to set up a lot of models on both sides. And you're like, oh, the game's over in turn two. You're like, well, why do we show up? And do this? So, yeah, I, I do agree. I would I would say that they're they're very overpowered right now. Especially get, it, maybe take their shooting down some because the, they were rerolling sixes and all this other stuff. And I'm like, when did Orcs start doing all that? It's a dice game. And even if you've got bad odds, the more dice you can roll. Well, this edition is a dice game with everybody yeah. being, the fact you reroll everything sometimes to me is, yeah. gets a little excessive. That's so I think the important thing to remember, though, is that the Orcs Codex just came out. So we haven't yeah. learned the growing pains of how to counter that. I say that because my first game was against Orcs, and I was super worried about all these Storm Boys and all these guys coming up. I went 3-0 today, and uh, honestly, it's because I had some, I knew going into this game that we were going to be seeing hordes because they're cheap and, that's some, and they're troops, which is something that's completely necessary to this Highlander format. So I brought aggressors. <laughs> and that stuff just shot right every, every oh you're a big unit that's cute you're out you're gone so it's part of learning the fact that you're gonna have to deal with something like that and i think that's part of it because I, they are counterable you just need to make sure that you're you, you can't you don't get to have everything you want because i and i say that as a guy who is bitched over and over again about wanting to play certain ways like mm -hmm. i play space wolves i want to be able to have my thunderwolf cavalry doing whatever i want no, nah, no, nah, I'm taking the shooty guys who get to reroll everything if I put them next to, you know, a lord. Yeah. And that's how I won. Like, it's really learning the meta and then trying to adjust to it. And I think that's part of the reason we just don't have an answer for orcs yet is that orc players didn't exist for a long time there because they were just bad. Yeah. Um, and now that you've kind of figured out things that you need to have and be ready for, especially because it works in synergy against that cultist list. Because, again, you're dealing with another blob of hordes that sucks. Take a lot of shots, delete them off the board, and then all of a sudden they can't do anything. Also, you know, you also have to take a look at the fact that Games Workshop is a company. And it kind of fits into what Walt said. For a very long time, orcs weren't fun, so nobody collected orcs. Engard and Nids. Engard and Nids. And chaos. chaos. And, quite frankly, Chaos. So what do they do? They release the codexes, make them extremely powerful so they become popular, and people go out and buy what they don't have. So I kind of can understand from that narrative why the codex is so powerful as it is. Because let's be honest, in the end of the day, Games Workshop wants to sell some plastic crack to you. Just saying. Well, I, I would just... Uh, um, I agree with Alex. Yes, I mean it's all about like whatever's the hot new flavor suddenly seems to be like oh it's the most overpowered codex of all time and blah blah blah. But he does he does have a point. No one's really had a chance to to step up and to and do it. it. And again, it was my first game, but but for me being you know terminally casual, <laughs> as I like to coin it, uh, I would have to build a list going in like knowing I'm playing horse. But if I show up with what I have that I might get lucky a time or two, but for the most part, works are going to roll over me, you know? So it's from, from looking from that aspect, sometimes you go, yeah, you know, I could build a list to, to fight it, but, uh, you know, I, I think sometimes it may be a little unbalanced, but it's also the new codex. So I do understand and agree, and agree with you on that fact. I think Walt is right about the, uh, the meta, you know, and you have to adjust to it and all that, but I just feel personally like orcs are the largest jump in power in recent codexes. I, I was really, you know, so far in 8th edition, I was feeling like most of the codexes could do some good things. They were a little subpar in other ways. And, I mean, of course, like, I really feel Grey, Grey Knights are kind of the bottom of the barrel. But, yeah, that's the first codex syndrome. But, uh, but I mean, overall, I don't know. This, this just feels personally to me. And maybe I'm just being a big bitch after this weekend. But, <laughs> but you know, like, this seems like a, a whole level above everything else. And then everything else is going to have to try to match it, like you said. But maybe well, it just seems that way. Like, yeah. it can really be a good thing that now you've got these guys that are going to give you blobs of stuff, so you have to answer that. And now the other horde armies aren't as good because they will get shot. They will get hit. They're going to get hit with a bunch of stuff. You have to have things that counter that. Like, there are, I mean, within the space, the Marines Codex, there's things like aspect scanning to help get those deep striking units. That's cute. You came in. I'm still going to shoot you, and now you have nothing. Yeah. Yeah, you have no leadership. But, I mean, there are plenty of ways to get there. You just have to really make sure that you're it'll balance itself out over time, especially because I do think you're going to see a points drop in Space Marines in Chapter Approved. Just they've realized that that five-up invuln is so much better than yeah. a three-up save. Uh, and I think you're going to see that, and I think that's going to probably make things a little bit more balanced. All right, Jordan next. Well, Jordan was next, yeah. Then Mike. 
the thing that I always have to remind myself is that we look at the codexes and we're like, oh, this codex is broken. Well, we don't always play the codex the way GW may have intended it to be written because we as gamers look at it and go, our first thought is, how can, how can I break this thing to make it as horrible as I can? Does anybody remember when Tal got their first new codex? Yeah. You read it, and I'm like, this is supposed to be like a synergetic modern-day military force with marker drones buffing the rest of the guys. You have the Pathfinders moving up to the front, calling in air support. And what do we wind up having? The Ovesa Star. And it was a crisis suit with the crisis suit command. Or it was the, you had the crisis suit things, and then you had Ovesa, the Riptide, with three other Riptides around it, with the buff mander and the 40 shield drones and gun drones around it. GW didn't write the codex having that in mind. They wrote the codex having a synergy w within the army, and gamers like us go, oh, look, they, they accidentally didn't think like a power <laughs> gamer. Look what happens. <laughs> Yeah, hold on, and then it's Mike. I was just gonna say, it seems like with the the way the meta is kind of going, Deep Strike is kind of slowly dying. Because like, yeah, at least as a Nids player, like, sure, I could Deep Strike my Flyrant, and then I gotta wait till turn two where he's not being a nuisance, and then he comes into eh, effect to maybe hit a charge. Especially with uh, turn two now, with the amount of board armies against any competent player, you're not gonna have anywhere decent to Deep Strike turn two. <laughs> you, you're going to be lucky to probably be in your own deployment zone again, so you might as well put them there to begin with. Uh, I know a lot of people had issues with deep striking on turn one. I didn't have a big of an issue about it, but we're a casual group mostly, so we didn't really run into like table wiping turn one because of deep striking. So, and I would say that the changes made towards deep striking instead of trying to like gotcha bitch somebody when <laughs> you bring you your guys in, <laughs> you have like a nice clutched. Uh, <laughs> You've got a, a real clutch tactical option now with your deep strike units. You're not trying to, like, wipe someone's ass for them and say, go home, nerd. You're actually, <laughs> it's, it's a real tactical decision you're making towards an ends rather than just, you know, slapping your opponent with, with penises. Yeah. Well, well, we'll just start with the weakest codex. Um, I'm, I'm going to say the weakest codex is Necrons. Oh, okay. If you, did anybody want? Yeah. All right. So that's the topic now. Um, I don't know. I do feel. I, I think Necrons have some power, but they do seem a little overpriced. Yeah. I. I. I, I kind of agree. Um, as a Necrons and Grey Knights player, I will disagree. <laughs> oh God, I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> hey, I I play a bunch of other Mar armies too. Glutton yeah. for punishment. Yeah. But I mean, Grey Knights. Uh, Grey Knights suffer from the power armor tax. I mean, that is that's a big that's a big problem with the Grey Knights army is they're they're everything for them is too expensive, and they just don't have the firepower or or the you know combat power to really pay off for what you're you're spending points wise on them. Necrons, you have some decent tactics with some decent units to make them effective. Some units are definitely not effective and not worth taking, but I. I you can still take stuff and still win with Necrons. Grey Knights, eh, I don't really think they're really worth running as an army. It's, it's kind as of like a main army. I mean, you could use a detachment for, you know, a strike force or something to, you know, augment some other force. But, you know, as a main army, no. Just like we were saying earlier with the hordes, like the more dice, the better, the more bodies, the better. So how many cultists can you get for a squad of paladins? Like, TJ might be able to answer that for you back there. Like, a ton. I th I think especially one thing I've noticed in New Edition I think AP is really king. Be so so Terminators were in the old edition with a two up save they were and and a five up invul they were they were yeah you beast but nowadays you're like well save. you're just gonna make them five up save all day where back in the day it was like oh I gotta shoot those guys with two up save never gonna kill them and now you're like Terminators are just storm shields eh they're okay if you get them in combat maybe but but yeah so Terminators are like I just Thinking about it, yeah, I, I, I would agree that probably um, Grey Knights are weakest because you spend a lot of money for turn Rainers and Paladins, but you're only getting the best you get is a two up save, maybe a four up invuln. You know, where invuln is good, but three and four all day, but it's not. The a AP really dominates. You get a weapon with AP minus one, minus two, you're, you're going to talk to something. It's so. so funny how the two up and three up saves now don't matter as much because yeah, everything's AP one or whatever. You know what I mean? so. That's why I call it like a blob of cult is way better than, than five Terminator. Yeah. Because the AP will, 
you, do, you don't you don't care. Oh, you're just killing them. Yeah, whatever. Crunch all you want. We'll make more. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that's a good point about the armor. Like I was talking to Walt the other day. Armor doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. Whatever your armor save, it doesn't matter because you're taking minuses. Like in older editions, you have a three up save. Awesome because if you get your three up save, that's great. If you don't, then you're dead. Right, exactly. So the armor save doesn't mean anything anymore. It's all about what your AP value and the strength of the weapon is. Yeah, so, so most of the time, if you're playing against a semi-skilled player and you're playing Grey Knights, you basically paid for Terminators and you're getting at least Space Marines with a 3-up save. I mean, if, yeah. Uh, yeah. that's... Yeah. I would agree with that statement. Yeah. Yo, Doug, I would say that we're maybe misremembering <laughs> 7th edition a little bit. Um, because with power armor being such like the prevalent thing, that AP three was everywhere. So power armor, power armor was get fucked, and no one took terminators. So we're actually seeing them now, and now this is the addition of way to fire, to where you got a dude in terminator armor sitting in cover, you're all day er day yo dog in those saves, and you're actually tankier now this edition than you were before. You got me, dog. It's clutch, dog. Clutch, yeah, total clutch. <laughs> Yeah, they do have that extra wound. Andrew brought up that extra wound, so I guess that's all worth it, right? Uh, as someone who doesn't actually play 8th edition, but has been playing GW games since like 2000, I I was very sad when Warhammer Fantasy Battle went away, and I was really sad when they changed to the newest edition with Warhammer. So when they brought back the AP minuses, it really took me back to the old days of Warhammer where I'm like, I've got a unit of high elves with five up armor. I'm like, that doesn't mean anything because everything was AP1 or AP2 and my elves just fell apart. So when everyone told me, hey, 8th edition's got like minuses to armor, I'm like, oh, that sounds a lot of fun just because it was something so different from what 40K used to be. And like, like you just said, I got so tired of running Marines that never got armor saves because for all of 6th and 7th edition when I played, I'm like, I got three up armor. That is useless. Okay, cool. So, you know, what's also funny is that that brings us back to the first thing we said, because orcs are basically space marines, tough four, one wound, right? And they got a six-up save, but against a lot of armies, that might as well be a space marine with a six-up save, because it's... But there's 40 of them. Uh, yes. Yeah, Alex, so there's 40 of them compared to your 10. Honestly, yo, dog. when I uh, was trying to do everything, we, uh, I looked at, I sat here with both wolf, I, when I was trying to build my list for this, this event, I had... Wolfen, who are great in combat. And I looked at aggressors, I was like, T5, they win. Toughness 5 is better than your 3-up save. Yeah. Simple as that. Take that toughness 5 because you're like, yep, no shots are coming in. That's yep. great. <laughs> you got that cute little 4-strength shot. Doesn't do anything. Tangentially related to that, there's actually like whole brackets of strengths that are kind of useless. Yes. Strength five, like strength 6, strength 7, okay. 6 and 7, yeah. Who cares? Yep. How about rules we might miss from the older codexes? Oh, that's a good topic. And like I said, I just want this to be fluid. So uh, one thing, I kind of miss armor facing. I know there's a lot of arguments about it, but I like the tactics yeah. of being in rear arc. Yeah, that, yeah, I really miss that. Like the, the, rule, the rule that I miss, I just miss cover. Like, like, line like, of sight like cover? Line of sight, being yeah. in cover. Like you're sitting there going, yeah, I got him a swan, but AP... Really, are you really getting anything with cover? Like, yeah, I got a minus one, but anything AP minus one takes that away. So you're just standing around in some trees and it doesn't matter. Like, it just, I know line of sight was more difficult, but, you know, you take that tax squad, you put them in cover and they can't be seen. Then they get a two up or they, you know, and, and some of that were, you know, just sometimes not getting shot was a better option than nowadays having the AP minus one where you're like, I've got cover. It doesn't matter. You know, more or less. That, yeah. So. Well, on what Matt just said was he, he misses cover. What I don't miss is fourth edition cover where it went the opposite direction where you're like, my toe is behind a chain link fence. I get a four up cover save. <laughs> and in fourth edition, I took to calling it four up K. And it's the reason why I bought a Land Raider Redeemer and played a Land Raider Redeemer because I got really tired of everybody having a four up cover save from everything. So I just burned them out. But, you know, I just, so I think cover is a really tricky topic with this game. You're all, because we're gamers and because we don't look at the rules as written, we look at the rules as how can we cheese the rules all the time. We, <laughs> when it comes to cover, it's, it's either too much or too little. So it's a balancing act for the company itself. Also, you know, I said I miss uh, rear, rear facing and all that, but. How many roundish, uh, amorphous ships and yeah. things do we have in this game? 
how how often do you're like, oh, rear arc, side arc, and you you argued. So I mean, I understand why they want to simplify it. And, say there's one part of the new flamer rules i don't like i don't know why flamethrowers are killing airplanes right out of the sky <laughs> right out of the sky every time <laughs> that part i don't get yeah the explanation of that is, in the lore is that they just take zip ties and zip tie the triggers and then just yeet those things into the air <laughs> makes sense you think they could just fly a little higher yeah like yeah, it just <laughs> yeah that would make. Oh, but you know they can't charge over anybody either. So. <laughs> Everyone knows Helljacks are very cautious, especially around smaller people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything else that you miss, or uh, weakest codex, or OPO codex? I was just going to say, I think that it's really difficult when a big majority of armies don't have a way to remove an invuln save. Unless you go Space Marines with Null Zone or Chaos with Death Hex, there's literally no way to remove um, an invuln save. And if with the prevalence of invuln saves in so many armies, whether it's Knights or Custodes or Tau or anything else, like just like I think every army should have something that lets them negate a, a psychic power or... Like every army should have some ability to negate an invuln save because otherwise, it's. I mean, fair is a word that we. It, it doesn't really match, but at the same time, every army needs the opportunity, option to do something to defeat that specific challenge. You know, when Eighth Edition first came out, I was so excited because everyone had the same stratagems. You know, those basic stratagems of like, oh, this is cool, and I'm really happy that we get specialized stratagems. But man, some like you said, not everybody gets everything, and that. Yeah. And and Scott though. To, to come back to what he was saying is, you know, when I said AP is prevalent, AP being prevalent makes invulnerable saves all more important. When you're like, I've got AP minus three, well, even a five-up invuln is better than than a six-up save you're going to get with the AP. So I think that's a symptom of just having AP and not have the cover save like you used to. That Now, if somebody's got a, a three-up invuln, that's that's better than and the old Terminator two-up armor. I'll take a three-up invuln all day long. So. Hi, my name is Cannonball, and I play a superior game system called Age of Sigmar. Um, and uh, command points are done correctly in that, I think. If anyone would agree. Good troop choice. I, I would agree with you, honestly. But, you know, it's limited. It's very limited. It's not... So, I mean, I think 8th edition started out kind of like that, and then GW doesn't know how to balance anything. Also, they underestimate how everyone's going to wreck their intentions. So... So, one rule that angers me, uh, and it, part, it might just be because I play Imperium and I get annoyed that I can't do it in the same manner, and I'll be honest with that, but it seems like the idea of imparting a 5-up invulnerable save to something, for, me, for something like Guy with Flag from the Custodes, it's wholly within 9 inches. The idea that a cultist who is so far away from Abaddon can get that fearless. You're like, yeah, no, but like, I'm not afraid. I got Abaddon like nine miles back. Dad's I'm watching. fine. Like, yeah, like he's got good ears. Yeah, like yeah. maybe an idea where like you can't just conga line and get that. Like, no, you get you get six inches, maybe another set of inches where it still counts. But then after that, you just too far away to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that kind of that that part of the rule just becomes a little bit abusive. I think. And uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit last year when it came to like these ridiculous like reroll bubbles and these auras that these HQs come out. What if there was something like like a hero phase like AOS has to where these guys can pulse out like a reroll ones to a unit or something like that, and that would that would kind of fix that because uh, it can get obnoxious with all the rerolls and the auras that these characters have. Yeah, and actually having to spend CP to use their ability. That's too much. You know, I mean, I'm just saying. Instead of everybody getting their bubble all the time, having to actually choose who uses their ability and spending CP for that. Also, Age of Sigmar is way limited in CP, too. I mean, so less is more. Hold on a second. Almost like Highlander. Okay, so thank you very much for participating in the first ever live uh, PimpCon Warhammer podcast uh, at Shorehammer. Now lose your mind. Lose your mind. Having a baby yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think he just had a baby now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. 
Let's get brutal. All right, in this edition of Get It Brutal with the Pimpcron, we're going to finish up the rest of the um, the blur, and then we're going to go into the Ashlands. So we're going to cover the people that live there, the fauna and the flora of that region. So if you recall, we left off at the um, explanation of Crust, which is their major export in the blur, and uh, we're going to run right into Blur Dwellers. So the people that live in the blur are collectively called Blur Dwellers, and like nearly all other places in the Aether Realm, this place is home to all types of people. So all different, you know, um, races and species and whatnot from different dimensions. And the only real difference is that blindness is common in this area, and nearly all people wear white and cream colors to blend into the terrain. There's no large settlements in the Blur, with most people forming small camps, and there are no real organizations to speak of since there's a lack of cities, but of course each small plunder bun holds allegiance to Ishtar, their own gods, or just to themselves. As far as plants, um, crust mining is the most common trade by far, though there is a transparent apple called a tho that is also very sought after for healing burns, and a breed of white uh, bright white rubies called bone rubies can be found in this area that the Collegium Carnus will pay highly for, which is used in soul binding, which we can get into at some other point. If you've played Skyrim, you can probably guess, you know, like soul stones and soul binding. And uh, the, as far as the flaw of this area, many varieties of fast herbazor, herbazor, yeah, that's right, many varieties of fast herbivore animals live here and usually feed off of the pale gray grasses that grow everywhere. The flavor of the vegetation and animals in this region has a distinct sour accent, but are generally edible. Animals of note are the six-legged Montu deer and the large-tusked stone tortoise and the nearly invisible sky jellies that pack a paralyzing sting. This place has a few apex predators that pose quite a danger to the populace as well, and the see-through manti is a large horned creature whose entire face opens to bite a man in half. The iridescent specter condor silently swoops down to catch up people for its voracious babies, and travelers also watch out for cripsies, which are gnat-like insects that appear like snowflakes, who bore into your eardrum and lay eggs. It's no wonder that most inhabitants cover themselves from head to toe, often wearing eye protection as well. And it's interesting to note that longtime residents of the Blur are most noted for their faded complexion, bleached hair, and gray pupils. They're not exactly blind, but no longer have the ability to focus clearly. Years of sour-flavored meats and vegetables cause nearly all normal food to taste quite bland, if you're from the Blur. So that is our first region of the wastes that we'll be covering, and we will move straight into the Ashlands. So we'll do a brief overview of this, and that will be it for tonight. So... The Ashlands are to the south of the uh, in in the south of the wastes, and um, it's an ashy land and has rivers of lava and several things like that. Several active volcanoes call this place home, as well as many varieties of flame-based creatures and cults. This area is very warm, as can be expected, and even the ground is warm to the touch. The area the air is quite sulfuric and leaves a sour taste in travelers' mouths and a dark gray ash covers all surfaces. Jagged spires of rock protrude in places where the ground isn't smooth and flat, and flash floods of lava are not unheard of. There's an old legend about this place that claims to answer the question of why this biome swells with lava and fiery violence. There's a massive creature beneath the cracked ground of this place, a creature of flame and heat that rests below this land, and the cracking and swelling of the ground is from its breathing. Occasionally, he will snort in his slumber, which causes the ground to shake and gr great columns of lava to jet out of the volcanoes. Of course, the story is a bit sensational, even for this realm, and most of the people who hear this story do not believe it. This gives rise to the saying, when the ash dragon rises. This is a similar phrase to things about, um, you know, pigs flying and, and other things that will never happen. That's, that's basically it. So when someone says, oh yeah, when the ash dragon rises, it's basically saying, yeah, right, it's never going to happen. Um, the Linton shepherds in the northeast of this continent may take exception to that rationale, though, as their livestock is both porcine and winged. Ha 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 ha. Then, of course, there are the accounts of a mighty roar emanating from below ground during the larger eruptions, and there have even been stories of a young thermomancer who claimed to have seen a giant eye while swimming in the lava underground. But certainly this legend can't be true, right? 
I don't know. The ashlands are quite dry, as you might expect, and mostly devoid of foliage and water. This biome does not get much rainfall, and dehydration is a constant threat to travelers. It seems as though this land is but a thin layer of ground floating on a sea of molten rock, and oftentimes the land may swell or roll subtly. Other than that, though, the land is quite nondescript and resembles a dried riverbed full of flaking pieces of dirt and cracks. And that is your daily dose of brutality and get brutal with the Pimpcron. And I appreciate you listening. We will catch you next week. And thank you again to Tom Ryder for being a Patreon patron.